Welcome to the Memory Chapel podcast. Memory Chapel is a small, rural, non-denominational Christian church located on Vanceville Road in 84, Pennsylvania. On this episode, we present Faith Lays Hold of the Promise, a sermon on Hebrews chapter 11 in its entirety. Let's listen in. Faith pleases God. By faith, those who long ago trusted in God, they believed on God, they had faith in God, they obtained a good testimony, a good report. Faith pleases God. What is faith? It's simply trust. Trusting in God, trusting in what God has said trusting in what he has spoken through his prophets and his apostles in the word of God. Faith, simply trusting. God is. Those who come to God must believe that God is, but you must also believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He's not capricious. He isn't fickle. He rewards those who seek him with their whole heart. God is pleased by faith. Here in Hebrews chapter 11, in the opening verses, the apostle is talking about faith. If we back up actually to verse 38 of the previous chapter, chapter 10, verse 38, the apostle says, Now the just, those who are justified and in a right standing, a right relation to God, shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to destruction, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. That word substance could also be the realization of things hoped for. The evidence or the confidence of things not seen. The idea is that God made promises to human beings. And those human beings, some of them we're going to read about today, though they had not yet received the fulfillment of the promises that God had made, they nonetheless held on to those promises, trusting that the one who had promised would be faithful to make good on the thing that he had promised. They held on to the thing that they didn't yet have because they were holding on to the one who had promised. Faith is the substance, the realization of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, that is by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. By elders, we are talking about the Old Testament patriarchs, the fathers of the Jewish nation. The elders obtained a good testimony by faith. By faith, we understand that the worlds or the ages were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Faith, it lays hold of the promises of God. Though the promise may not yet be fulfilled, nonetheless it lays hold of the promise because it lays hold of the one who promised. Here in chapter 11, 
We have quite a few examples of faith that are laid out for us and were laid out for those that the apostle wrote to to remind them of those who had overcome through faith. Just to give you a little bit of background, refreshing uh, as we've made our way through the book of Hebrews, this letter was written to Christians, Hebrew, Jewish Christians, who were suffering intense persecution for their faith in Jesus Christ. The persecution had been severe at times, and now it was beginning to build to a fever pitch. This book was written somewhere around 62 or 63 AD. This makes it one of the very last books of the Bible to be written. I do believe it was written by the Apostle Paul. Probably gives us a very good representation of what some of Paul's sermons would have looked like when he went into the synagogues and reasoned with the Jews from the Old Testament scriptures, proving that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and all that that entailed. And now he's writing to these Jewish Christians, these Jewish believers who have already suffered for their faith in Christ and now they see persecution beginning to build more and more. And it's only right that it should because as the Apostle Paul had said, the time was drawing near. Paul had told us in chapter 8 that the old covenant was getting ready to vanish. It was going to blow away on the wind. The old covenant was getting ready to disappear forever. Along with it would go all of the ceremonial rituals of the old covenant. The Old Testament Levitical priesthood was going to be disbanded, abolished. The the animal sacrifices on the altar, the pouring out of the blood on the mercy seat in the temple in the Holy of Holies. Uh, The temple itself would be gone. Jesus had spoken at just a generation, at the beginning of that generation, that last generation, he said that the days were coming when the enemies would throw up a ramp, a mound outside the city. They would breach the walls, tear the walls down, not leave a single stone on top of another. The temple would be destroyed. On that day, the very weak when our Lord would eventually be crucified, he was there on the Mount of Olives overlooking the temple and the disciples were showing him the buildings of the temple. It was one of the wonders of the ancient world. They said, look at this, look at that. It had been under construction for 46 years. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, not one stone will be left upon another. When will these things be? It will be in this generation. There are some of you standing here today who will still be alive when these things happen. The time was short. The old covenant was about to disappear, but before it would go, there would be intense persecution as Christ had promised his apostles and his followers. Persecution would come, a time of great trouble, more trouble than had ever been. There would also be, because of this persecution, there would be a falling away. The apostle called it the apostasy, the falling away, a defection. Those who faced persecution would either go through it or they would run from it. To run from the persecution would be to apostatize, to fall away, to desert Jesus Christ. 
So here are these Jewish believers, these Jewish Christians going through persecution and it's becoming more and more intense. And the apostle writes to them here in this letter in the book of Hebrews that they are to hold on. Stand fast. Be faithful. Do not apostatize. Do not desert Jesus Christ. It was tempting, perhaps, to go back to the temple. It was tempting to go back to the priests and the animal sacrifice. The apostle makes the case here in the book of Hebrews, we have a priest. We have a high priest. A priest after the order of Melchizedek. He's never going away. He's in the heavens. It's eternal. The new covenant is forever. Do not desert it. You're almost to the finish line. Don't turn back. Hold fast to Jesus Christ. Christ is greater. He is a greater priest. We have a greater covenant. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He's higher than the angels. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Don't turn back. That's the message. And now to bolster their faith, he's going to go back into the Old Testament and he's going to draw out examples of people who despite hardship and overwhelming circumstances, nonetheless had faith in God. Let's look at some of these together today as we read. And as we read, I want you to look for, observe, faithful obedience to God in their circumstances. Each one of these people we're going to read about had very different circumstances, but in their circumstances, they maintained faithful obedience to God, faith in God's temporal promises. That is the things that God had promised them, temporal things, but there's a bigger promise in view that we're going to be talking about just a little bit later. And they had faith in that too. Let's pick up in verse 4. By faith, Abel. Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And through it, he, being dead, still speaks. God testified by having it recorded in his word, the faithfulness of Abel. That testimony of faith and faithfulness continues to speak to us today from out of the words of Holy Scripture. Though dead, his faith still speaks. Each one of us one day will die. What will speak after us? Will it be your faithfulness or your unfaithfulness? It will speak after you. By faith, Enoch the seventh generation from Adam, was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. How did he please God? The writer is implying by faith. Because verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. 
By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited, this is key, this is a little hint, a little glimpse of what we're going to be getting into when we talk about the promise a little bit later. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. The the implication is, yes, Abraham received the promise that go to this land, the land of Canaan. I'm giving it to you and your descendants for an inheritance, for a possession. And yet Abraham, by faith, going to this land, nonetheless was content to live in tents. He didn't dig to pour a footer and build a foundation wall and put up a nice house. He was content to live in tents. Why would that be? Verse 10 gives us the answer because despite the temporal promises of God regarding go to this land, I'm going to give it as a possession to your descendants, Abraham had his eyes on a bigger promise that was farther off. He had his eyes on a city which has foundations, a city whose builder and maker is God. The one who designed it and made it is God. He had his eye on this city with foundations made by God. More on that later. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Faith lays hold of the promises of God because it trusts in the one who has promised. There was absolutely no logical earthly reason for Sarah and Abraham to believe that she would conceive and bear a child at her advanced age. And nonetheless, she believed the promise because she judged that God, the one who had promised, was faithful. Therefore, from one man, that is from Abraham, and him as good as dead, only in the sense that because of his advanced age, there's no conceivable way that he can produce offspring from this one man who, by human reckoning, was as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore, all in fulfillment of the promises of God. The the, the folks who were hearing this word from the apostle would have been able to look back and say, yes, indeed, God's promises were fulfilled in time and space. The Jewish nation numbered in millions, and they were scattered across all of the ancient world. You could go to any country in the ancient world, any major city, and you could find faithful Jews worshiping at the synagogues. The seed of Abraham had been scattered far and wide as the stars in the sky, as the sand on the seashore. And all of this came from a man who was as good as dead, but who nonetheless laid hold of the promises of God because he judged that the one who promised was faithful. Verse 13. These, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, these all died in faith not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Now, 
Those who say such things, that they are strangers and pilgrims on the earth, they declare plainly that they are seeking a homeland. We're tying back into verse 10. Remember, Abraham was looking for a city whose builder was God, a city with foundations, something that could not be shaken, something that was permanent, eternal. That's what Abraham was looking for as he placed his faith in God. Those who say that they are merely passing through strangers and pilgrims on the earth, what they're really saying is that they're seeking a homeland. Truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out of, they would have had opportunity to return, but now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Verse 17, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. He concluded that God was able to raise Isaac up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. He was willing to performed the ultimate act of obedience to the Lord's command in sacrificing his own son to the Lord. The Lord, of course, you remember the story, sent his angel, the angel of the Lord said, Abraham, stop, don't do it. And he showed them where there was a ram caught in the thicket and the ram was the sacrifice. But Abraham was willing to obey God even to that awful limit. And so, in a sense, he received his son back from the dead, in a figurative sense. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. He said, The Lord will bring you up out of the land of Egypt and take you to the land of Canaan that he has promised. When that day comes, don't leave my bones here in Egypt. You take me with you. That's how Joseph demonstrated his faith. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Again, he was looking to the same thing Abraham was looking for. He was looking to that reward, that city with foundations that could not be shaken, eternal. By faith, Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. By faith. The walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, 
Also of David and Samuel and the prophets. You can almost feel that the apostles getting caught up here as he realizes his time is so short as is mine. And there's so many wonderful examples of faith that he hasn't even touched on yet and he's trying to trying to throw some out here very quickly verse 33 who through faith he speaks about the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms worked righteousness obtained promises stopped the mouths of lions quenched the violence of fire escaped the edge of the sword out of weakness were made strong became valiant in battle turned to flight the armies of the dead women received their dead raised to life again and here in verse 35 my speculation don't take it as gospel This is what I think. I think in verse 35, in the middle of the verse, we have a transition. Because I think that the apostle here is linking up with the past. He's linking his present day with the past in this verse. He has talked about all of these examples of faith. He's talked about the prophets. Some of them endured hardship. We we think of Jeremiah who suffered persecution for his unwanted prophecies concerning the destruction of Jerusalem. 600 years before Christ came. We think about Isaiah, who history records for his faithfulness in speaking the word of the Lord was cut in half. We think about these prophets who endured, but I think here in verse 35, the apostle is transitioning into their present generation and thinking of people that they personally could have named, that they knew that they grew up going to synagogue with, who had endured for the sake of the testimony of Jesus Christ. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings. Yes, and of chains and imprisonment, I can almost hear Paul's voice catching his throat as he thinks back to standing there that day when Stephen was stoned. And the men who picked up the stones and threw them first laid their garments at Paul's feet as he presided over the martyrdom of Stephen and gave his approval to it. And then as as he went from there to make havoc of the church in Jerusalem, entering into homes, dragging men and women and children out, imprisoning them, perhaps torturing them, and then obtaining letters from the chief priests that he might head up to Damascus and do the same thing to Christians there as he persecuted followers of the way. I think there's a link here as he transitions from those who in old times endured much to the present generation that he's in when he thinks of those that he even had a hand in persecuting. They were stoned. Paul can identify with that. He himself was stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted, that is tested or tried. They were slain with the sword. His, His mind has to go back 20 years earlier when James, the son, the brother of John, was killed by Herod with the sword. Peter, too, was arrested at that time. But miraculously, you remember, the angel delivered him. The angel of the Lord delivered him from the prison and restored him to the church. But James fell. 
They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Why? They had to flee. They had to leave Jerusalem. They had to spread out and run for their lives. But with them, they carried the testimony of Jesus Christ. They carried their faith in Jesus, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. Spring of 61. About this time of year, in the year 61, Paul had been imprisoned in Rome. He would be imprisoned for two years. He would be released in the spring of 63. Spring of 62, James, the brother of Jesus, who was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, was thrown off the top of the temple, killed, while he prayed for his enemies. John was arrested, tortured, exiled to the island of Patmos. Summer of 62, John writes the revelation to the seven churches. Spring of 63, that's where we're at right now. It's the spring of 63. Paul writes his letter to the Hebrews after his release from prison. Summer of 64, just a year and some months later, There's a fire in Rome and the great persecution of the Christians under the Roman Emperor Nero begins. It spreads throughout every city, every region in the ancient world. If you're a Christian, you're hunted down. You're tortured, you're killed, or you turn your back on Jesus Christ and you apostatize. That is what is looming in the near future. The apostle is making his urgent warning, his urgent plea to the church. Stand fast. Trouble is coming. Persecution is on the horizon. Do not fall away. Do not turn your back on the Lord Jesus Christ. Stay true to the end. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. And here's that tie-in that goes back to what Abraham was looking for. Abraham had received these promises from God, the temporal promises, and he still lived in tents because he was looking beyond to something bigger, something eternal. He was looking for a city, a city that would be built by God, a city with foundations. Some verses to reference, verse 10, verses 13 through 16, they were looking beyond to the promise. Verse 40, chapter 13, verse 14, let's turn to that one. Chapter 13, verse 14, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. God has has provided something better for us, the apostle says, that they, that is those Old Testament examples of faith, should not be made perfect or completed without us. What were they all looking for? They were looking for a homeland. They were looking for a better thing, a heavenly thing, a heavenly place, a city designed, constructed, and even furnished by God. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. 
a city with foundations, unshakable, something better, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Uh, we read about that in chapter 8, verse 13. We pick up that story in chapter 12, verses 25 through 28, where the apostle talks about the covenant that is passing away not only the earth is going to be shaken, heaven and earth will be shaken. He says the old covenant order is going to go away when it gets shaken and it does not remain. Only the things that cannot be removed, only the things that are eternal will remain. What will remain? A new covenant that will never end. Chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 20. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the temporary covenant, no, the blood of the everlasting covenant, the new covenant that would never be removed, never be abrogated, never be taken away. The old covenant with its priesthood, with its animal sacrifices, it was being shaken. It would be shaken out within that decade in which the apostle was writing. What would remain would be the new covenant, the eternal covenant. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 21 refers to this. We won't, we won't turn to it, but it talks about glory be to God throughout all ages world without end. That, that word world, it, it means age. Age without end. Does this age have an end? No, it doesn't. This age does not climax. This age is forever. The kingdom of heaven has come. The way has been made open. When you die, when I die, we will. Your soul will not go to the pit it will not go to the grave. It will not go to Sheol. It will not go to that underworld of darkness and shadows. You will go to the presence of Christ. You will go to that city for which Abraham looked. The one with foundations, eternal in the heavens, unshakable, immovable. You will go to be with the Lord. You won't be separated from him age without end, a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Second Corinthians chapter 5. We'll actually back up just a hair. We'll look at chapter 4 verse 16. The apostle Paul says, therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction. Consider the hardships and persecutions that Paul had gone through, and he calls it light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, like Abraham, who by faith didn't look at the tent he was living in. He was looking beyond, laying hold of the promise of God for that eternal city made by God. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know, chapter 5, verse 1, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent, 
He's talking about the body. It's destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. There's Hebrews 11, verse 10 again, huh? That's what Abraham was looking for. For in this, in this body, we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. Consider this, the Old Testament saints, before Christ, before Christ opened heaven, before Christ emptied paradise, before that happened, when you died, it was like being unclothed. You were a spirit without a house, a soul without a tent in Sheol. We in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed. We, we don't want to die so we can put off this body just to put off this body because it causes us pain and hardship. It's not just because we want to put it off. It's because we want to be further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life. We're not interested in getting... These bodies are going to break down and they're going to start to hurt. They're going to ache. Sometimes every day of the week will be a trial of endurance. And we might feel like we just want to get out of this. But we don't want to get out of it just for the sake of getting out of it. We want to get out of it so that we can get into it, right? We don't want to take off these clothes just to be out of the clothes. We want to take off these clothes so that we can be clothed upon. Put on the new clothes. A house made by God, eternal in the heavens. We have a building made by God, eternal in the heavens. Now he who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee, a down payment, collateral. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well-pleased, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. All of those Old Testament saints that we've talked about today, in addition to laying hold of the temporal promises of God by faith, they also laid hold of the promise, the big one, the Hebrews 11 verse 10 promise, a city with foundations built by God, eternal in the heavens, they laid hold of that, but they had not received it. It wouldn't be until Christ, his sacrificial death on his people's behalf to pay the price of their sins, his glorious resurrection from the dead, whereby he obtained the keys of death and Sheol, and then his glorious return. Sheol is emptied, the dead are judged, the righteous dead who by faith had laid hold of the promise are escorted into the presence of the Lord. Those alive and remain changed in the twinkling of an eye to meet the Lord in the air. And now you and I, as we live in this eternal age, a new covenant that will never end, we have the promise. We have the realization of it. 
when we pass, and we will, we don't go to the don't go to Sheol. We don't go to the place of shadows. We are not unclothed, but we are instantly clothed upon with that house eternal in the heavens. You're a human. You were made to be a human in a body. You will be clothed with a spiritual body. What does that look like? 1 Corinthians 15, read about it. Paul says, we aren't exactly sure, but we know that it's different. It's immortal. And no matter what it is, it's like Christ because it's what he is. When we see him, we will be like him for we will see him as he is. So will we be. Amen. We want to thank you for listening in today. If you'd like to listen to the rest of the Sunday morning worship service at the chapel, simply check out episode 17 for the full worship service. Until next time, may the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Today, this week, and even forever. Amen.